0: Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to effect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. In the middle of chaos, in the middle of the world feeling like it's disoriented, in the middle of situations not Feeling like they're working at all as planned. Chaos. This is the picture of Christ's coming the first time. And also gives echo of what his return might look like in our world. That has increasingly found itself in chaos. The political system is in chaos the moral condition in our country is in chaos. People are fighting over toys at Walmart. Chaos, chaos. And our passage this evening helps us to envision what chaos might have looked like then. Gives us context of the Lord's coming. Luke chapter two, verse one says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, they had been told. I love this story because it gives us context for the way in which Christ came that first time. It's not at all easy street, nor is it an amiable situation. It's less than what any mother would hope for their newborn baby, to be born in a place that animals are born It doesn't get lower than that. It doesn't get darker than that. But this is a great image of how far God's love is willing to reach for you and I. That his condescension to reach humanity was complete by entering into its most low place. We have today, and you heard musics that bring about the serenity and the feeling of Christmas, that bring peace and calm. And on the surface, it may seem like that, but behind the scenes, there is much that's happening that is anything but peaceful. The family gets word. You need to go to Bethlehem. And the author is very careful to note which census this is, and everyone during that time would be aware this is the first census by the governor that was to be taken and so everybody is scrambling now keep in mind how far mary and joseph are from the location of bethlehem 67 miles 67 miles of a journey pictures of mary on a donkey are probably a bit more flattering than was actually true. They were poor. We know that because of the offering size that they brought when they dedicated Christ at the temple of the doves and pigeon. This is a very poor family. So this woman, nine months pregnant is being moved. Now, I've had a nine-month pregnant wife in my home four different times. Moving a nine-month pregnant woman anywhere is a task. Now, imagine doing so on foot. 67 miles. To pay taxes. To pay taxes of all things. Does it get more dark than this? It is an awful situation, but there's some paradoxes here that we must also understand. Caesar is counting, and the reason he's wanting to count is to sort of give a collective of how great and grand his kingdom. And he's counting the number of all those that are in there to the contrast of Christ being born in a manger counted, but counted among the most lowly of all. And it reminds us that in our own seasons where it may be a little dark, where circumstances aren't aligning just right, the assumption that we make often is that God can't be in this, sort of echoing a bit of the message that I shared on Sunday. God is in every season. And the context of his coming reminds us that he is powerfully at work even in the darkness but more to the point what appears in this passage to be an attack of the enemy i have to travel 67 miles are you kidding and with a pregnant wife that i have to assume she's telling me the truth about that it's god's son i've got to do so to pay tax of all things but what appears to be attack of the enemy is really a move of divine destiny Because the prophet had already spoken that this is where Christ would be born. And they get under the spout of what God had already said about them. And it's in that place that Christ comes forth. This is also true of us because sometimes in the midst of chaos, as we're trying to navigate the steps through the world in which we live, where everything is falling apart, where households and churches are flooded with water, where kids are acting crazy, there in the middle of that, God is at work trying to bring forth his purposes. It gives us the context that the Lord isn't just coming for the powerful or those that have it all together, but instead stoops to the most lowly of place to scoop up us in our most lowly place. The scholar Jürgen Moltmann talks about this in his book, The Crucified God, where he considers this idea. He says it's only in our human suffering that we really can begin to identify with the person of Christ and his own reason for suffering. Because in his suffering, we find a kindred with the one that has come to save us from ours. But unless we suffer, we don't know the depth of God's willingness to suffer alongside of us. Last Christmas, I had a bit of suffering, not unlike the one that we have found here this evening. I was out with some friends, and after our Christmas Eve service, I was dressed in similar attire, and we decided that we were going to go to see metal lights. I looked down at my gas gauge when we were heading out to metal lights, and I was between half and three quarters. No, no, I'm sorry. Between one quarter and a half a tank of gas. And I'm looking at my gas gauge. I said, I should have plenty. I can find gas on the way back. And so I get out to Benson, North Carolina, where these lights are, and we're enjoying it. It's all great. I leave there. And I go, well, I'm now at a quarter of a tank of gas. I need to start looking for a gas station. But there were no gas stations open. Why? Because it's Christmas Eve and everyone is shut down for the day. And so I'm getting off exits. I'm looking at signs and everywhere I was looking, it said closed, 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 closed. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I've got my family in the car. It's now 11.30 at night. We're humming down the highway. And I said, God, give me some gas. I need to make it to the gas station. I get up to Cary Parkway on 440. And I start to hear that. I said, no, don't you do that, baby. Not now. At least get me to the exit. And right before the exit at Cary Parkway on 440, the car dies. I'm running down the street in, a, in this suit that I'm wearing right now. It's, it's a little chilly outside. My family's in the car. People are whizzing past the car. We got it safely off the side of the road. But I'm looking everywhere and I run three and a half miles to the gas station, which also was closed. It could not get worse than this. I wasn't trying to be irresponsible. I didn't expect that there wouldn't be any place open. And so I run back to the car and my wife, she gets on the phone and she says, Aaron, are you out there anywhere? And she gets a hold of our brother, Aaron Meyer. And he says, you know what? I just happen to be on the road and I'm seeing what you're saying. All these gas stations are closed, but I see one light up ahead. He goes and picks up some gas. He drives and puts it in my car. I found one gas station on the way home. I was able to fill it up the rest of the way and drive home. But it reminds me of the second idea that we find here is that not only do we have to recognize that God's at work in dark seasons, but God makes a way in dark seasons. He makes a way through them. But sometimes we need to make room for God to work. Jesus His family shows up in Bethlehem. But the scripture is clear to Mark that the guest house had no room for Christ. Certainly, the innkeeper and the residents that were in, probably revelry, family reunions, everybody getting together must have noticed the woman and full child coming with her husband to their door looking for space. But there was no room. There was no room for them. And so he says, look, there isn't any room for you here. Why don't you go down there? I think that there's a barn. And some people say that that's hospitality. If that's hospitality, please stop being hospitable. I don't want that kind of hospitality that's going to send me on to a barn. Giving birth next to animal manure. Baby Jesus being laid down on straw. This, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he make. You try laying a baby on straw and see if no crying he make. There will be crying they make. It is nasty, it's smelly, and it's terrible. But I started thinking about this idea is that I find that it's also true that we struggle sometimes to make room for Christ ourselves. Because we live our lives in such a way where there's no margin. We live constantly, full tilt, running from here to there. And this day, we finally got here. We're trying to exhale. But probably some of you are thinking, I still got to put together this gift. I still got to buy for this person. I hope I can at least get to Walgreens. I hear they're 24 hours and they're open on Christmas Eve. Maybe, just maybe, I can get that perfume for my wife that I still haven't sought for. But that's how we run our lives, isn't it? With no margin. And then when it starts to cycle out of control, we find ourselves deeply frustrated. There's no margin for God to work. No space carved out for devotion. No slow slow space for worship. And then when we wonder why our lives feel so upside down. Not long ago, we were leaving church and I was living my life with very thin margin. And it wasn't church stuff, it was just life. I mean, running kids to to sports and and to, to this event and that event. It was just nonstop and there was lots of meetings and stuff. And then one of my kids on the way home from church says, Dad, I left my iPod at church. And I'm in the car, and I'm in the front seat. Like, oh, no, no, no. And I'm freaking out because they left their iPod at church. I'm certain it's going to be gone. Why did you do that? I mean, I was pathetic. And we all kind of are when our life is constantly maxed out. How's your margins today? It's so easy to criticize innkeepers for not making room, but I feel as if we often fall into the same trap. No space for God to work. And we wonder why our marriages are tense. We wonder why nothing really brings joy. We wonder why we're on an endless pursuit of peace and yet never seem to find it. The message that Luke is trying to communicate to us through his telling of this nativity. As he's recounting stories, he wants us to carefully understand that a life that has no margin for God to work will miss the greatest blessings that God has in store. What would that innkeeper's inn had looked like had Christ's blessing come? We see a, an image of this at Obed-Edom as, as the Ark of the Covenant is stationed outside of his house, and, and you see the power of God, the blessings come, and David becomes jealous for the presence of God in the same way. I wonder if that innkeeper would have had that kind of blessing in his home and said, Christ stoops slow. I think in some degree, though, this may be just the way that God wants it. Because if God can't identify with us in the lowest and weakest and most vulnerable parts of our life, then those parts of our life that are that way, he has no capacity to heal because he hasn't entered into them. The great Gregory Nazianzen, thinking about this idea says that which Christ did not assume, he could not heal. He needed to assume every part of our human existence to make a way for us through our own human experiences. God stoops low, bends down, and wants to bring us with him, but we've got to live our lives in such a way that there's at least some margin for God to do a work inside of us. How are you carving out Space, And then Luke tells us about this account of angels. Angels play an important part in Luke's nativity and understanding. You've got angels speaking to uh, Mary. You've got angels all throughout the the passage. You you see this this important, these are messengers of God that are telling the truth and, and being the first witnesses of Christ's birth. But where do these angels go? To shepherds, abiding in a field. Now that might sound pretty pristine to you, but shepherds were the scoundrels of that day and time. The people that were the refuse of society. Their jobs were dirty. It was not the kind of position that you aspired to. It's more the one that you fell into by default. And these shepherds are the ones that first hear the message that Christ is born in a manger. The lights of the angels shines round about them and lets them know even shepherds, even people that have been the outcast, even people themselves who their lives have been painfully disoriented by the experiences in which they've encountered are the ones to whom the light shone the greatest, reminding us that even in our most dark seasons, that the light of Christ seems there to be at its greatest. Reminding us that there is hope despite the struggles that we are experiencing at our job. There is hope even when our finances are in ruin. There is hope and that hope is that the light of Christ would lighten upon us and bring us through into the blessings that he has in store. Pastor Stephen, if you'd come up, the, worship, the worshipers. I think this is so important. That there's something of the light that needs to be carried. The angels receive the light of the angels and they go and they see the Christ child. But they don't leave the light there. When the light has so impacted their lives, they go and they share the word. And what's remarkable about their testimony is that people listen. Shepherds were known to be liars and yet when these liars start telling the truth everyone believes them why because their lives had been so transformed by the power of the Lord and the light of the gospel that those whose message in the past had been unbelievable when they saw the transformation of what the light had done to their lives became the most credible witnesses so much so that Luke notes notes it and says that people were marveling at what these shepherds had said why because their lives had been so transformed by the power of the light of the gospel. I heard this powerful story about this that really helps encapsulate what that might have looked like. Gregory and his two sons, Greg Jr. and Timothy, went on a hike through a cave On the New Trout River in West Virginia. They left their car at an opening. And they began to work their way through the cave. They got into the cave about a mile deep. And there were still miles to go. Young Timothy says, Dad, can we push on a little further? I want to go deeper in there. And the dad says, okay. He looked and checked the batteries and their their lights and everything looked good. But as they pressed onward, something happened, one tripped and then the others chased, and their lights that had been reliable in the past were suddenly broken and of no use. They tried to figure their way through the darkness, but there was no hope. Their eyes were playing tricks on them. They thought they'd see a flash here, a flash there, but there was no light. The panic and the anxiety were so oppressive that it was hard to breathe, they said. The dad did the only thing he knew that he could do, which was gather his boys in his arms and say, boys, let's pray. They prayed. And at first things seemed to get a little bit better as far as at least their perspective of their situation. They had a little bit of hope, but when hours turned into days and still no sign of them, a help came. They started getting comfortable with the fact that they'd never make it out because it was so dark. Days have now gone by and Family are starting to notice that they're missing. They put out a report, but they didn't tell really anybody that they were going, except for one grandmother that remembers and says they went hiking in the New River Cave in West Virginia. And so the rescuers went out and they were looking everywhere for them, and finally they spot the location of their entry and they see the car. At the brink of death, the true light of salvation came. And what was crazy is that they were just paces away from the cave's entrance. But the darkness had blinded them of the truth. I find that Reality at work all the time that salvation is right there, but sometimes the darkness is so penetrating that it blinds us from the apparent truth that's right in front of us all the time, and that is that Christ has come to save us. The light has already shone, and if we will just behold it, we too can be saved, saved from our weakness saved from our despair, saved from ourselves. The selfishness, the anger, the rage, the emptiness, the hollow dreams, the broken dreams, the lives that have been painfully disoriented by all of what this world can do against it does in fact have a paralyzing effect. But when the light of Christ lightens upon our lives, somehow the hope of Christmas always comes. And that's what we are to look for today and every day, not just on Christmas Eve when the calendar tells us and reminds us that Christmas is here, but every day when we hear the whisper of the Spirit telling us to slow down, And to widen our margins so that Christ can speak. The opportunities that we have every single day to share his love with others. This is Christmas. This is the way that Christmas is always meant to come, not just on December 25th, but every day. How are your margins? is a room in your life for Christ? Where is the darkness in your life that you still need Christ to touch? Friend, he's here tonight to touch you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.